You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. A Life of Jesus, episode number 43. This episode is called Love to the Uttermost. This episode is taken from the book by Brother Melva Perkis and is read by Brother Paul Creswell. Now in the upper room, Jesus washes his disciples' feet, even the feet of the traitor, still stained from the dust of the streets that had led him to the high priest's house. There he had betrayed the very one who now knelt before him with water and a towel. And yet one more act of love, love to the uttermost. A Life of Jesus a devotional study by Melva Perkis. Book 7, Chapter 9 Love to the Uttermost The difficulties of the Sanhedrin were eased by a visit from one of the Twelve. While Jesus was teaching in the city, Judas slipped away, presented himself before the chief priests, and promised to help them to arrest his master. It was probably an impulsive rather than a deliberate visit, but it marked the first active move in a dreadful conflict which had been raging in his soul for the last few months. Efforts have been made to find excuses for the treachery of Judas, to show that his true motive was to force Christ's hands and make him assert his messiahship, but it is impossible to relieve the blackness of his deed or find any other verdict than that which stares starkly from the written word. Many months before, when the disciples protested their loyalty amid the general dissatisfaction, Jesus had said, Have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? The Judas emerging from the Gospels is an ambitious man who was drawn to the simple company because he believed fervently that Christ was the Messiah of Israel and expected material advantages from his association. He was unscrupulous and was not above stealing from the common purse. The months passed without any effort by Jesus to advance his claims, and Judas became restless. When, for the second time, Jesus rejected the efforts of the people to make him king, and spoke of surrender to his enemies and of suffering and death at their hands, the baffled man of Keriot felt he had been cheated. But it was impossible even for a man like him to be in the company of Jesus without being given a vision of life and character beside which his selfish ambitions looked tawdry and filled him with shame. Here lay the conflict, 
it is familiar ground. The flesh or the spirit, the world or Christ. It was near enough to all the apostles to bring the question trembling uncertainly on their lips. Lord, is it I? But before the evil in Judas should triumph, Jesus had some precious hours to spend with the twelve. It was of the utmost importance that they should not be disturbed, so he prepared secretly. It is not unlikely that Judas, with his base design in view, had prompted the disciples' question, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? Peter and John, two of the most loyal disciples, were sent from Bethany to Jerusalem to make arrangements for the Passover feast. But lest by a hasty word they should betray the meeting place to Judas, they were left in ignorance to be guided to it by a man carrying a pitcher of water. It would not be difficult for them to find their guide, for women were the pitcher-bearers in Palestine. In the large upper room the two apostles made ready. The lamb was purchased, taken to the temple to be killed by the priests, carried back and prepared. The bread, wine and bitter herbs were brought, the simple furnishings arranged and all was in readiness. In the evening Jesus left his loved ones in Bethany for the last time. The shadows of Gethsemane were gathering about him, the cross was already growing heavy on his shoulders, the sweat was forming on his brow. Mary watched him move slowly away over the shoulder of the hill. Her love would tell her much. Something of his burden was communicated to her as she bravely smiled her answer to his last farewell. She watched him go with an anguish too great for tears. But when he had gone, the smile would fade and her eyes would reveal something of the pain and loneliness that was in her heart. The cruelty and lust of man which was so soon to be directed against the love of God revealed in Jesus pierced also the heart of the one who loved. And it has done ever since. No true disciple of Jesus can pass through the coming hours without the sword piercing his own soul also. Circumstances were to prevent Mary of Bethany from ministering to her Lord at his tomb. But she had performed her ministry while he lived. It had been a beautiful service of devotion, and though the hours to come were to be darkened by an agony of suffering, the resurrection morn was awaiting, and with it the glory of a risen Lord. And so we leave Mary at the door of her little home in Bethany. She does not appear again in the Gospel record. We leave her reluctantly, thankful for the warmth of her devotion and the fragrance of her example. We leave her in the confidence that if we love and serve our Lord in her spirit, we shall meet her in the day when the Lord shall stand on the Mount of Olives and minister not only to his people, but to the need of all the world.
But now the Lamb of God was going into the city for the Passover. After this week the work of the priests would be finished. The law would be at an end. The righteousness of God would be revealed in Christ. And through him believing men and women would find salvation. Passing over the Mount of Olives, busy now with pilgrims erecting their temporary dwellings for the feast, they made their way into the city. Even now the disciples could not resist the temptation to compete for places at the table, and Jesus was compelled to rebuke them. But the Saviour's mind was filled with the realisation that his hour had come. He saw for a moment beyond the degradation which was awaiting him, to the hour when, his great work of redemption complete, he would enter the glory of his Father's presence. And looking upon these men who amid much frailty and waywardness had been loyal companions through the shadowy paths of the last three years, his heart welled up in unspeakable love. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them to the uttermost. The picture we have of Jesus as he faced these last hours fills us with awe and gratitude. At no time in his life does his character shine in a more radiant light. Around him was hatred and disaffection. In his very midst was treachery. Before him lay torture and a lingering death. He was only thirty-three. To all outward appearance his mission had been a failure. He had roused the nation only to disappoint it. Now his hour had come, and with the complete dedication which had marked his life, he went forward unfalteringly to his death. The disciples' unseemly quarrel for precedence at the table gave their master the opportunity both to administer the most gracious rebuke and to reveal the nature of his father's love. He rose from the table, wrapped a towel around him and, taking a bowl of water, proceeded to wash the feet of the twelve. Human nature combines with history to demand that power must be in natural opposition to humility and servitude. In revealing his love to man, God showed how false such a conception is. He sends his Son for the salvation of man. We look for a revelation of glory and power. We find a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We look for a conscience-stricken people bowing in reverence before his majesty. But we see the Baptist lifting him from the flowing waters of the Jordan. We wait for the fiery judgment of heaven upon a faithless people. But we see the gentle touch of healing and hear the contented cries of little children. We look for the denunciation of the traitor. But we see the Saviour kneeling at his feet with water and a towel. One by one the disciples submitted to his ministration and, submitting, learned the nature of their vocation. 
Judas felt the cool hands of Jesus on his feet, feet stained by the dust of the road which led to the high priest's house. But the moment passed, and with it went the last opportunity to repent of the evil deed that was in his heart. Only Peter protested. Gently Jesus showed his impulsive disciple that before he could do anything for his Lord, he must suffer his Lord to minister to him and cleanse the impurities from his robust but earthly heart. We have to learn that too, and learning it may cry with more impulsiveness than wisdom, Not my feet only, Lord! As he so often did, Jesus explained to the disciples the significance of his action. Ye call me Master and Lord. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye ought also to wash one another's feet. We cannot minister until we have been ministered unto by our Lord. But when we have received his ministry, ours becomes imperative. The love that has poured forth from him into our lives is too great to remain there without flowing forth also into the lives of others. But it was at this point that Jesus felt the full impact of the treachery of Judas. He was about to be betrayed by a familiar friend, one who had shared the hardships and joys of his ministry, who had been a constant witness of his healing touch and his divine power over nature. In spite of all that he had seen and heard, in spite of what he knew in his heart, a handful of silver coins was enough to settle the conflict between good and evil. Now the very presence of Judas was an oppressing burden. It filled the room, an ominous darkness which formed an effective barrier between Jesus and his disciples, preventing that intimate communion to which he had called them at this hour. The crisis must come. Jesus was troubled in spirit. The concentrated venom of men which he had endured during these last weeks had left him unmoved, but the treachery of one of his own was more painful than anything his enemies could inflict. They had returned now to the table and reclined with Jesus in their midst. John was on his right, Judas on his left. There is a footnote here. A thoughtful reading of the Gospel account seemed to indicate the position of Judas. Especially compare John 13, verse 23 to 27, and Matthew 26, verse 25. We continue. Suddenly the Lord spoke, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. To eleven of the disciples this was a dreadful shock. To the twelve it was a moment of awful apprehension. It was inconceivable to the others that anything but complete devotion and love could be in all their hearts. John reveals a tendency we all recognise when he says, 
the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Faced with an accusation, we tend to look at our brethren. Gradually the full import of Jesus' words was perceived, and the sorrow of Jesus enveloped them. They no longer sought to penetrate the secret of their brother's soul, but looked anxiously into their own. One by one they asked him, Lord, is it I? Dreading exposure, yet knowing that to remain silent would be to condemn himself, Judas asked the fateful question. But Jesus saved him by an answer which he alone heard. Thou hast said. Peter was roused from his shocked surprise by the realisation that if the traitor was in the room, he could be effectively dealt with before he could perpetrate his treachery. He made signs to John to ask who it should be. He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. Only John heard these words, and only John watched with awful fascination as Jesus quietly offered the sop to Judas. With a deeper understanding than Peter, John remained silent. In that moment Judas knew there could be no turning back. His feet had already begun to slip on the brink of the precipice down which he was to plunge headlong. That thou doest, do quickly. Jesus rose from the table, walked to the door, and under the protecting silence of the master he was betraying, and the awe-stricken John, he went out. And it was night. With the departure of Judas, the dark cloud of oppression cleared. Jesus devoted himself to his disciples, and all his love for them and his care for their welfare flowed forth unchecked. For a short hour the grim events of the morning were forgotten, and the blessings of all that he was to accomplish were enjoyed. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org.
So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at btf at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen. Thank you.